Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Believe in a summer to savour with great offers at your local Super Value, like our huge range of barbecue meats, any three for ten euro. Our flash deal Bosch Tassimo coffee machine is thirty-five euro, and brew some hot drinks with Tassimo pods, any three for twelve euro. Believe in a summer to savour with Super Value. To help us all keep safe, please continue to adhere to our safety guidelines in store. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Point, Planet F1's very own podcast. After many episodes, many months, we finally got our first Grand Prix of the season, the 2020 Austrian Grand Prix, and uh, yeah, it's fair to say it was worth the wait. It feels good to have it back, doesn't it, Michelle? Oh, it feels absolutely fantastic that we finally have Formula One racing out on track, and what's an incredible opening gambit from the sports. I mean, Sunday's race was absolutely phenomenal. In fact, the whole weekend was was pretty much perfect. Formula One could not have asked for a better advert to entice fans back. You know? So welcome back, Formula One. Before we get into it specifically, you know, just taking a, a broad broader look at the weekend. Personally, I can't remember an opening race to be that good in uh, in quite a long time, really. No, it's been it's definitely been a while since we've had that much action in a in an opening Grand Prix, as you say. But I mean, it had it had everything. It had protests. It had controversy. It had somebody other than Lewis Hamilton winning the day. It was perfect. It perfect advert for Formula One. And yeah, well done to the sport for delivering, and well done to the Red Bull Ring for uh, for putting on the show, making sure everyone was safe, and just giving us the best that Formula One could be. It's a real testament to the sport that it's back. I mean, it's first international sport in the world back on track. Um, obviously, everything else that's returned has been purely domestic. In terms of in terms of how it operated, how it was covered, I don't think the the social distancing measures they I don't think they really negatively affected it much at all. Do you? No, not at all. Um, it was a uh, it was a bit strange to uh, to see such empty grandstands. I mean, not a single person, but I think Ted Kravitz running around in the stands at stages. Um, and yeah, not being able to see facial expressions behind masks is is always a bit disappointing. But Formula One did over four thousand COVID tests. Every single one of them came out negative. So well done to the sport for for doing what needed to be done. Um, I think there was two breaches along the way that made headlines. Some stage Lando Norris was spotted without his mask. Um, and then, of course, Sebastian Vettel went to go and visit Red Bull and pulled his mask down to have a chat while the Red Bull lads were also maskless. So 
the FIA did issue a warning to them, just letting them know that these are the protocols and uh, you need to adhere to them if you want in our paddock. So I'm assuming that's the first and last breaches we'll have. But yeah, I mean, even that, even that created a couple of headlines and added to the excitement. Yeah, yeah, it really had everything. Um, we're not going to bother telling everyone everything that happened because I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably quite aware of what happened in the race. Well, I, I should hope so. If not, go stick on the highlights or something. So, yeah, I mean, let's just kick off with the race at the front. Obviously, throughout the weekend, Mercedes looked seriously dominant, like back to the, uh, well, back to the days of 2014, 15, 16, really, where they had no contenders. And I think the real talking point there was the fact that Bottas, generally, I mean, he had the upper hand over Hamilton. Uh, obviously, he got pole position uh, and he won the race, I'm pretty sure, leading every lap. Yeah, I mean, is Bottas 3.0 finally the version that can take it to Lewis Hamilton over the course of an entire season? You know, unfortunately, you know, Bottas 1.1 and Bottas 2. Point whatever and Bottas 3. Point whatever, you know, porridge, coffee, everything alike. Um, he seems to start the season really strong and like really, really go-getter sort of thing. And then sort of falls by the wayside, often unfortunately because contract negotiations get involved. Or last season he was going through stuff on a, on a personal note. Um, I'm hoping we do have Bortis who can challenge Lewis Hamilton for the world title because given the pace of that W11 this weekend, it's, it's Mercedes's to win, it's Mercedes's to lose, and I'd be shocked if anybody else actually even plays a role in this year's title race. I know I'm basing that all on one Grand Prix's you know, performance, but wow, Mercedes were incredible this weekend. If it wasn't for the safety cars, of which there were three, Lewis Hamilton would have finished second even with his five-second penalty. Mercedes had such pace over its rivals, they would have blitzed them. Yeah, like I said, I mean, they seem just so dominant, don't they? And I mean, even going into the weekend, even with Lewis Hamilton's penalty that put Verstappen in P2, you know, we're trying to tell ourselves, oh, this is going to be a three-horse race now, especially with Verstappen's tyre strategy. But I think that was everybody trying to convince themselves but I mean it's hard to tell obviously because Verstappen retired early on but I think even if he's stuck around I don't think he'd have been able to get near the Mercedes without those uh those safety cars yeah I mean what do you think is I mean on track and off track with the protest that led to a Lewis Hamilton penalty Red Bull were Mercedes closest challenges do you think they can they can get close to them throughout the season um, based on Austria, I'm going to say no. I think Max was half a second down on, on the two W11s in qualifying. Yes, if he hadn't had a problem, he, he would have been on the podium, but he would have been on the podium in third place. I think it would have only been a matter of time before Hamilton overtook him on the track. Um, and let's not forget, like you say, the only reason Max actually started the race ahead of Lewis is because Hamilton got a three-place grid penalty for ignoring yellows, a, a justified and deserved penalty. Uh, I was shocked on Saturday that uh, Mercedes didn't get that penalty to start with. Uh, irony being that it was actually the F, it was actually F1's own footage that, um, that that incurred the penalty for Hamilton. So you would have thought they would have had it all ahead of in front of them on Saturday when the stewards were looking at the matter, but apparently that one was missing. Red Bull found it going through uh, F1's Twitter feed 
And yeah, Hamilton promptly got penalised and Max moved up to second. But as I said, he wouldn't have stayed second for very long in the Grand Prix. The power of Twitter, you know, getting Hamilton that penalty. And it wasn't the only penalty he got that weekend. I think this was arguably the race's biggest talking point by the checkered flag. And it was the, the collision between Hamilton and Albon. Obviously, after a safety car, Albon had pitted for fresher tyres and he was looking good. If he got past Hamilton cleanly, he could have actually gone on and taken the win. You know, it was um, flashbacks of China, I think, in 2018 when Red Bull did the same and Ricardo charged through to victory. Obviously, it didn't happen. He went for a pass around the outside of Hamilton. They clipped and, yeah, Albon went spinning to the back of the field and Hamilton got a five-second penalty for it. What do you think? Do you think it was a, a justified penalty for Hamilton? Yeah, if you look at the footage of it, it was Albon's rear wheel to Hamilton's front wheel. So if any penalty was going to be issued, it was going to be in Hamilton's, uh, in Albon's favour and against Hamilton. Um, I don't think it was as clear cut as their their clash in Brazil. But like I said, uh, there was a there was contact, there was a collision, and you know the fact that it was Hamilton's front, Albon's rear. That, that kind of sealed the fate for Hamilton. But I do feel he, he has a bit of a right to, to feel a bit aggrieved by it. Um, he's come out and said several times that it was it was a racing incident. And I'm, I'm quite surprised the stewards didn't rule that way either. There was quite a bit of space still on the track for Albon to keep going around the outside. Um, so, yeah, I don't... Yeah, I, I felt a bit sorry for Hamilton for it. But you know what? It, it did add a bit of excitement to the end of the race. I felt even more sorry for Albon, though. I mean, to lose out on the chance of a podium, potentially the chance of a, a first race win, uh, the poor lad must be pretty gutted. Yeah, he's been made to wait a lot longer than he deserves to, I think, for that first podium. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in my eyes, I, it, I mean, in a way, I, w- I was happy that Hamilton got the penalty because it, it did add a lot of excitement, like you say, and it did end up with a McLaren on the podium, which we'll get into in a second, um, which is great because... I think after a race like that, if the podium just ended Mercedes, Mercedes, Ferrari, that would have been uh, pretty disappointing. So, you know, in a way, I'm glad he got the penalty, but I don't think it was really deserved. I, I Yeah, I think it was a racing incident. And I, I think if you look at the onboard of Hamilton, he didn't he didn't exactly turn to the left to try and, you know, block off Albon. I think he was just taking his line. Um, and yeah, I do think there was space for Albon to go further around the outside as well. So... Yeah, I do think that's um, it's really tough luck for Hamilton, to be honest. And I do think, I don't know, without it, it's hard to tell because he did, he did seem quicker on track than Bottas generally, but obviously there were those issues, uh, gearbox issues, which they were told were critical, which kind of limited them both from fighting. Do you think those issues are a cause for concern going into next weekend for Mercedes? You always wonder about Mercedes. Whenever they're running the one-two, they seem to have car troubles that are going to uh, going to lead to imminent failure. And yet, that imminent failure has yet to materialise. So yes, it did sound by the tone of voice. I mean, especially James Valls, that there was a serious problem. But it seems to be that the problems was caused by mounting the curbs. So maybe next weekend Mercedes just needs to stay off the curbs and I don't know, go a little slower. Yep. I'd have no complaints with that whatsoever. In fact, why don't they just go about half a second slower or something? And then, uh, yeah, it'd be good. You know, get a good fight for pole position and everything. Yeah. I did. I mean, 
I've got my hopes up a lot when I've heard that Mercedes have issues and then it's turned out to be nothing. But this time, yeah, I mean, from the from the radio messages and from, I don't know, it's hard to tell from their pace, I guess, but Hamilton did drop off a lot. Yeah, I think it could be a genuine issue, but I guess that's the beauty of having a double header. We'll, uh, we'll surely find out in a few days' time because there's not really much they can do for the race next weekend, really. But yeah, that was the front. So let's get on to the, the good stuff, the absolute carnage that happened behind Mercedes. I think the fact that we've had a section all about the battle at the front and we haven't once mentioned Ferrari says it all. They're, they're pretty much a midfield team now, aren't they? That's, uh, that's what the reality is in terms of pace, at least. Very much so. If it wasn't for the carnage, Charles Leclerc would not have finished second. Uh, he has a lot to be grateful for for Hamilton's actions and, and those of others in front of him. Uh, Sebastian Vettel had a wretched, wretched Sunday at a time when he really needed to politely show Ferrari the middle finger and also prove that they've made a mistake. He promptly went and spun while fighting none other than his 2021 replacement, Carlos Sainz. It it was oh, it was borderline embarrassing for him. You you cringed as it happened. It was just so sad. I think there were many a people, especially after last week's news that uh, Ferrari didn't offer Vettel a contract, even though they kept saying he was their number one pick, number one pick, and then they changed their tune on him. You really wanted Vettel to have a great race, and he absolutely fluffed it. Yes, the Ferrari is woefully off the pace. They're screaming aerodynamics. Toto Wolff is saying he's not listening to that anymore. It's definitely the engine. Um, And the fact that Ferrari's engine from 2019 was illegal, the teams are still wanting that to be resolved, but Ferrari are standing firm on that. So there's not, not, not a lot of love lost for the Scuderia at the moment. Yeah, it was it was a bad weekend. Even Charles Leclerc's P2, yes, there's something to, to celebrate there. But, yeah, the chances of Ferrari getting another podium finish next Sunday, um, unless there's absolute carnage again, it, that's not happening. They are sadly off the pace. Yeah, they are. It wouldn't be an exaggeration to put them even as the fifth fastest team, maybe, which seems crazy. We've had the, the top three for so long, and then you know, the best of the rest, as we call them. And now, now Ferrari, they're not even the best of the rest, really. Yeah, just a word on Vettel. I mean, I thought it was just really, really sad, to be honest, because here's a guy that Ferrari have basically told, look, you passed it. We don't want you anymore. And I'm sure he wanted to come out and prove them wrong. Um, And sadly, he did the most Sebastian Vettel thing possible, really. If you look at the Sebastian Vettel the last few years, we've seen that that spin so many times, haven't we, where he's tried to go for a gap that wasn't there and just lost it, lost control. Yeah. and I mean, I, I think what's even more worrying, though, was the fact that how he recovered after that. I mean, he was stuck on the edge of the points for so long, not making any kind of progress. And when the race finished, he had only a Williams behind him, which is just, yeah, really concerning, I think. Um, I mean, fair play to Leclerc. I'm still not quite sure how he managed P2. Um, very opportunistic, but Ferrari genuinely are fourth or fifth fastest at the moment um i mean before he ended up p2 leclerc was running in p6 in between the two mclarens for pretty much the whole race and he wasn't any quicker than either of them but yeah let's move on to that because that's a much more positive note we have a mclaren back on the podium um and this time it's in the form of lando norris isn't that 
Isn't that good to say? It's absolutely wonderful. Um, in my preseason predictions, I said McLaren would be on the podium. I did not expect it to happen in the first race. Um, in the last two months, pretty much every headline that's been about McLaren, aside from their, their driver swap at the end of the season, has been about their financial troubles. Uh, there were even reports that by the middle of July, pretty much in a week's time, they'd be on insolvent unless miracles happened. Uh, the miracles happened in the form of a loan from, I think, a Bahrain bank. But the bigger miracle was Lando Norris finished third at the season opening Austrian Grand Prix. And what a way to do it. He put in the fastest lap of the Grand Prix on the final lap to literally take third by 0.198 seconds or something ridiculous like that. Well done to him. Phenomenal result. Uh, in fact, the only disappointing thing about the McLaren result was because of social distancing, we didn't get to see a, a really good Lando Norris celebration. But I'm sure as soon as they are allowed to hug, touch, kiss and whatever else, uh, we'll, we'll hopefully get a couple of clips of that one online. Yeah, McLaren have really been made to wait for that for that classic podium celebration, aren't they? It's, Sainz got it in Brazil, uh, but he was given his podium late. So it was a lone podium late at night, long after everyone had left. And uh, yeah, now Norris is having to social distance for his. It's a shame, but I'm sure they won't be complaining too much. Yeah, I mean, I remember going into the final lap and it looked like Hamilton had pulled clear. And uh, I was so disappointed because, I mean, why not, you know, it's a McLaren. It'd be cool to see them back on the podium. I like Norris. And yeah, like I said, after all that, just having Mercedes and Ferrari on the podium. Uh, that would have been a, a bit of a letdown, really. But, I mean, that final lap was, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was like a quali lap just done after 71 laps, you know, with a full field, but ahead and behind him. It's, uh, yeah, it was seriously impressive stuff. Yeah, driver of the day, Norris, surely? Definitely, just for that lap alone. Um, I think it was two tenths up on the on anybody else's fastest lap with the Mercedes duo. I think on lap 68 or 69, Hamilton went f fastest, then Bottas went fastest. And two laps later, Norris said, I'll take that third place. So well done to him. Like you said, driver of the day. It was it was absolutely fantastic, especially when you consider that at the start of the race, he, he actually began to lose a couple of positions. He was having a pretty tough time against Sergio Perez. Carlos Sainz was also all over him. And Norris, Norris kept his cool, and he put in a really mature drive. And yeah, well done to him. Well done to McLaren. <laughs> what do you think's going through Carlos Sainz's head at the moment? It must be a strange situation, and that he agreed to move to Ferrari, and I'm sure he never had even had a second thought about it. And it, it now looks like the team he's currently at, McLaren, um, are actually quicker. And it's not like there's going to be a lot of development for next season either. No, Ferrari, uh, the Formula One teams have decided that this year's cars will be raced next year. So unfortunately, what uh, Sebastian Vettel is going through at the moment, Carlos Sainz will be going through next season. He, he must be scratching his head, wondering why. I mean, it's all good and well to say I'm driving for Ferrari. But you know what? I'd, I'd rather be driving for McLaren and fighting for podiums than driving for Ferrari and fighting for points. Daniel Ricciardo's definitely got the better got the better deal there going from uh, Renault to McLaren for next season. I think, uh, yeah, looking at that, he must just be licking his lips at the prospect. Let's just wrap up by going through the conclusions. You know, what what do you think there is that we can draw from this weekend um, that's fairly definitive? Um, starting off with the pecking order, I mean, 
Mercedes top, Red Bull second. And after that, it's got to be Ferrari fifth, uh, maybe, maybe fourth, but it's got to be Ferrari no better than equal with Racing Point and McLaren. Um, I would put McLaren and Racing Point tied for third with Ferrari behind them uh, in the pecking order. Unless Ferrari can figure out whatever it is that the FIA took away the pace of their engine, they're in they're in a lot of trouble. They were the Ferrari powered cars, including Haas and Alfa Romeo, were the only ones who were slower in qualifying, I think, than than the than they were last season. So they've got a lot to work on. They are in trouble. They can try and find it through aerodynamics, but unless yeah, unless they are able to find a, a way to work around like I said, the FIA is hampering their engine. Ferrari are going to be in trouble this year, uh, and so are Alfa Romeo and Haas. I, the difference between this week and next week, uh, between what, what yesterday and this coming Sunday, I don't think there's any hope in hell pretty much of Ferrari solving their issues in seven days. No, no, I think it's definitely too soon. Um, and I think even hungry would be difficult, to be honest. I think a triple head is not what they want at the start of the season with their car like this, really. Um, yeah, I mean, it's got to be the engine, hasn't it? It has to be. That's one conclusion we can definitely draw from this weekend is that it's the engine. They've said there's aerodynamic issues, but yeah, like you mentioned, looking at the qualifying times from this year to last year, Red Bull was slower, but they were literally slower by about a thousandth of a second. So they haven't gone forwards, but they certainly haven't gone backwards. And yet, yeah, the three cars that have gone considerably backwards were Haas, Alfa Romeo and Ferrari. So it can't be an issue with Ferrari's chassis because they have a different one to Haas and Alfa Romeo and they've suffered the same thing. So, yeah, it's definitely the engine. And yeah, that's going to be a difficult problem to solve going forward, I think. Um, but it makes things more interesting, at least. Uh, the other standout from this weekend, I think, in terms of what we can draw from it was just the horrendous reliability of the cars. Uh, I know it's the first race of the season, but we've never really seen that to that level in um, in Melbourne in the last few years. You know, I mean, almost half of the field retired. Uh, obviously, it wasn't all reliability, but most of it was pretty much. Um, and I don't know, do you think this is something that we can expect to see throughout the season? Obviously, now they've got just a week to fix issues and then a week after that. Are we going to be seeing that number of retirements more often than not? Um, no, I think the teams will get on top of it quite quickly. But like you say, the fact that we're starting with a triple header, I, I'm not expecting any major adjustments to to come to the cars before we head to Silverstone. So we could be in for three races of absolute chaos and carnage. And you know what? Bring it on. It's, it adds to the excitement. Um, as long as the carnage isn't from people crashing, but more from people breaking down at inopportune times, then bring it on. You know, Formula One's a team sport. It's up to the teams to produce reliable cars. Um, and if they can't, then drivers suffer in the world championship. Yeah, exactly. I think it makes it so much more entertaining um, as well, to be honest, because if, without those handful of safety cars we got on uh, yesterday, I think it probably would have been a pretty boring race to be honest. So, you know, I can't complain about it, really. I definitely think it's going to continue to be a theme in the next two races, at the very least. Yeah, there's a bit of a gap after that, so maybe they can get to sorting the issues a bit more. But uh, the the nature of this season's definitely already taken its toll on um, 
on how things play out. I think the best thing has to be the fact that the midfield have have improved so much. I mean, they've made a lot more progress than obviously Ferrari, Red Bull, um, and even Mercedes. When you compare the qualifying times from uh, last year to this year, the midfield have really at least racing point in McLaren and um, Renault as well looked to have good pace, just never really came together. But yeah, they look to have definitely closed the gap to the front, which I mean, it, it could make for some some interesting uh, interesting race winners. Hopefully, you know, if you've got Mercedes having issues, then after that, who really knows who could win a race? Do you think we could be in for a kind of 2012 start to the season where we get uh, multiple teams, multiple teams, multiple drivers getting podiums? Yeah, I think we'd all love to see that just to just to shake things up and no longer have just Mercedes, Red Bull or Ferrari winning races. But uh, I mean, 2012 was absolutely chaotic. I think it was seven, seven different drivers in the first seven races. I don't think we're going to see that. But it would be nice if this year's championship could end with at least one person outside those big three winning a race. But for now, yeah, let's celebrate a McLaren on the podium um, and hopefully the rest of the midfield slowly but surely works their way onto the to- into the top three as well. Oh, I long to see Daniel Ricciardo back there. I've missed the shoeys and it's been too long. So yeah, hopefully that next. Looking ahead to next week then, Michelle, you think uh, same again? Battery Bottas same- the favourite? Oh, same again would be wonderful. Um, Valtteri Bottas the favourite. That'd be great as well for Formula One. You know, if it... If we're going to have Mercedes fighting for the one-two, then let's at least spice things up by Borders getting ahead of Hamilton. At least, you know, hopefully building up a bit of an advantage in the championship. And then, yeah, let's see if Hamilton can come back and claim that number seven. Bottas starting with two wins would be make things so interesting, you know, if he could get a bit of a lead in the championship, especially with Lewis Hamilton dropping down to P4 in the first race. It's not the one-two we all expected. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed. Well, uh, thanks uh, for listening to this episode once again. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed the race. And uh, the best thing is that there's one in just a few days' time. Uh, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Well, before we get started on Friday in FP1, that's when our uh, live commentaries will start over the weekend, make sure you keep an eye on our website, planetf1.com, and keep an eye on our Facebook, Planet F1, and our Twitter, Planet underscore F1. Also, if you've enjoyed the podcast, then uh, make sure to leave us some reviews on iTunes. Uh, yeah, it goes a really long way to helping us out. If you didn't enjoy it, then yeah, don't bother. Just kidding. Yeah, we welcome any kind of feedback. But yeah, make sure you leave a review on iTunes. And uh, yeah, stay tuned because we'll be back this time next week to go through uh, the second Austrian Grand Prix of the season. If it's even half as good as this one, then we'll be happy people indeed. Thanks again and see you soon. Bye. The Euros are here, and we'd better make the most of them, because they only come around every four, uh, five years. So if your bookie isn't making you feel special, then maybe it's time to find a new one. Yep, not so much carpe diem as carpa diem. Hmm, if the grass is greener on the other side, come and play on it. If your bookie's not giving you the best rewards, switch, and you'll get a completely free €5 bet builder on England v Croatia this Sunday. Paddy Power! Free match bet builder bets only. Match one free bet and in two plus legs on an exclusive must have previously deposited. T's and C's apply. Play safe. 18 plus gambling care. Sports Social Podcast Network.